In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with the Cinda Virtual Network, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. Now, we don't only bring you thought leaders from all over the world, but we also have listeners from all over the world. So, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we are on every podcast platform out there from Apple to Google Play to Stitcher to Spotify. You can find us under Leadership Beyond Borders. And I also invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Let me know what you'd like to hear about on this show. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure you take away something useful for either your business or for yourself. And today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Now, I've been called a feminist, and of course, I am one, okay? But sometimes I don't like that word because it has many negative connotations. I mean, sometimes even when it's used in a positive way, you get a roll of the eyes or smart comment from someone who really does not know or understand the word. But the truth is we need feminism. Feminism with the backbone in the women's suffrage movement. And in August 1920, because of feminism, women won the right for political equality. But social, economic, employment, and other types of equality have only made baby steps since 1920. Have we made progress? Yes. Can we see the light at the end of the tunnel? I'm not so sure about that. You know, because if you talk about feminism, it's, it's, it's a movement, but I like to call it open opportunity movement because that's what this is about. It's about opening markets, industries, companies to women and allowing the opportunity to move ahead. Sure, we have equal opportunity acts, but you need to get in the system to take advantage of that. And our guest today has taken a lot of thought and looked at where we are today, why we're here and what we have to do to move the needle. Our guest is Eriva Martin, and she is one of the nation's leading voices in media, an award-winning attorney, advocate, legal, and social issues commentator. She's a talk talk show host and producer. She is a CNN HLN legal analyst, a former co-host of The Doctors and Face the Truth, and a regular contributor on Good Morning America, ABC News, Tonight, and Dr. Phil. She currently hosts The Special Report with Ariva Martin. A Harvard Law School graduate, Ariva found Martin & Martin LLP, a Los Angeles-based civil rights form, and is the CEO of Butterfly Health Incorporated, a mental health technology company. She's also a best-selling author. Martin has dedicated her fourth book, Awakening, Ladies, Leadership, and the Lies We've Been Told, to helping women worldwide recognize, own, and assert their limitless power. So, Ariva, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So it's a, this is such an honor, and let, let's just let's just start with the the word that jumped out in the title of your book to me when I read your book, um, 
lies. Let's talk about the lies we as young girls are told, um, you know, and, and relate your experience as a young girl in the lies you were told. Yeah, I wanted to use the word lies rather than fabrications or you know, <laughs> falsehoods or other uh, words because I wanted to get people's attention and I wanted people to really think about this book and the content of the book. And I wanted people to be uncomfortable in some ways, uncomfortable because you know we can't solve what we don't acknowledge. And I think all too often uh, in our efforts to say that women have made progress, we paint a rosier picture than what is the reality. And it's not to say, and at the end of the book, I do give examples of amazing women who have achieved incredible things in their uh, careers. But, you know, there are not nearly enough of those women, and it happens sometimes to too few women. So I wanted to expose the, the lies, the things that we are told as women and as girls, uh, so that we can start unpacking them. Uh, some of them, I, I, I list five. That book, you know, I could have had an entire book of just the lies because obviously <laughs> there are more than five things. One of my good friends on uh, the TV here in Los Angeles said, Ariva, why isn't this book 6,000 pages? Now, <laughs> obviously, yeah. I could have written a 6,000 page book. But the reality is, you know, we live in a, a, a you know, cisgender, heteronormative, uh, patriarchal system. System. It was designed that way, and when you design a system to be patriarchal, uh, then by definition, women are always going to be struggling to have equity and, and parity. So we just first have to acknowledge that. I think that gets lost a lot in conversations that women, you know, even historically, couldn't own property, uh, you know, didn't have rights mm -hmm. unless they came through their men. You know, they were attached yeah. to their fathers or their husbands. Yeah. Now, many people will say, well, we're way past that. Yes, we are. But our system, our patriarchal system is still the system by which, you know, we all live and, and we're governed by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we may be way past it, but I, I'm not so sure about that. You know, it's also culturally, okay, depending on, on the country you live in. But um, when we, you know, staying, staying with kind of what's happening in, in Europe and, and the U.S., one of the things you talk about is this message that we get. And I could relate to this so much in your book about we have to work harder, okay? Yes. And, and my question for you is, you know, why do we get this message? I mean, maybe from my mother or my grandmother, it might have been, you know, we have to be cleverer or smarter or more cunning. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a message that was told to me growing yeah. up and it's told to so many women. And then women, you know, looking through the, those patriarchal lenses, we tell other women, work harder, do more. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a whole era where we went through in this country, you know, kind of spearheaded by Sheryl Sandberg and her book, Lean In, where women were told to work harder, to, you know, stay later, take on more assignments. And that puts the onus on the woman rather than focusing on the system. And what we now know, and we've known for a long time, but we're, I think, now willing to have an con honest conversation about is women are working hard. Women have always worked hard. We've always done more. We've always gone above and beyond. But we can't lean into a closed door. So mm -hmm. we can't outwork a system that is stacked against us. So if the system rewards relationships, if the system rewards legacy, uh, if the system rewards nepotism, then our hard work is in vain. We, we can't mm -hmm. outwork a relationship or the old boys club. So th those are the things that, that we've got to come to grips with. And I didn't yeah. want another generation of women to kill themselves trying to you know, be the hardest working person on the job only to learn that their male peers are, are working half as hard but getting twice as far as they are because it's not just about the work that you do. There's so many other factors that are being considered uh, when you look at what happens in a workplace. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about that system, um, you know, two things, we're told work hard, but actually ingrained in that system is, is the gender issue and the race issue, okay? And that's part of the system that we have to come up against. And and you talk a little bit about that. I mean, what's the, you know, when somebody's trying to get a promotion, uh, the first thing they'll recognize is not the hard work, but maybe 
the system, as you said. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the reality is there are systems in place that make it difficult for women and definitely women of color uh, to ascend to certain jobs. When you look at the number of women that graduate with college degrees, the number of women entering college, women are the most educated demographic, and then black women in particular are some of the most educated uh, you know, people in, in the U.S. Yet when you look at the women who are in the C-suites of Fortune 500 companies, the math doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. We're the most educated demographic, but yet there are only 41 women who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, only three black women. So mm-hmm. if, you, if we believe what the system tells us, which is higher education is your ticket to upward mobility, is your ticket to a more successful career, then you would expect to see you know, the, the number of women holding those C-suite jobs to be at least at parity at 50%. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. And, you know, there are lots of, and some, the 41 is a high number and you'll hear people celebrate that number. But we, as you said, we started this journey, you know, over a hundred years ago, trying to get the right to vote. So here we are a hundred years later and we are supposed to be happy with essentially what are crumbs that we have, mm-hmm. you know, 41 women out of 500 uh, and three black women, you know, that that's, yes, we could celebrate that. We can celebrate anything. Uh, but is that really worth celebrating? Yeah, I I agree with you, and I want to come back to you know some of the the movements and systems. But I I want to address one thing when it comes to gender and and make and getting those doors open that you address in your book, which I thought was was very brave because nobody ever says this. Okay, and you talk about you know either race or gender is noticed first, and how sometimes for women. Appearance is so important, okay? You know, or it's it's discriminated against. Now, you're a woman of color. I'm blonde, as blonde as they come. I had those blonde jokes all the time. She can't mm-hmm. go to the C-suite because she's blonde, okay? Why, why do we we women have to absorb this, this appearance issue so much? Because it is a patriarchal system and men design yeah. <laughs> That's the, the short answer. Uh, and it's one of the lies that I, I call out in the book is that we are told that beauty is not the standard by which we will be judged. Yet yeah. we know we live in a society that has a multi-billion dollar beauty image. And I cite of many, many scientific studies that have been done that show that contrary to that lie, women are judged much more so on their appearance than men. And the Eurocentric standard of, of what beauty is, of what professional mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, like you said, you suffered as, as a blonde. I, as a black woman, a black woman that wanted to, to wear, I, I give an example of coloring my hair red. So mm-hmm. those kinds of, of, of things, whether we're, you know, you're too thin, you're, you're not thin enough, you're you know, you're not uh, groomed in a, a certain way. Those are all things, not just anecdotally, but scientifically proven uh, that play a role in how successful you will be in the workplace. And they should not. They, they should not. It should not matter if you have blonde hair or red hair, if you weigh 100 pounds or you weigh 250 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question should be what your expertise is, your experience you know, your, your, your knowledge, your emotional intelligence, you know, there's a laundry list of things that we should be judged on, but our, our weight and our hair color should not be on that list. Yeah. And, and also the, the grooming, because, you know, as we've seen, we've seen a shift, of course, in, in dress and work, um, you know, with, with the movement of the, the tech, you know, the, the techies and kind of downplaying dress, but you know, you, you still walk into a a tech firm. Um, I don't care if it's Apple or, or Google or somebody, um, and you'll see all these guys in jeans and, and, you know, just sweatshirts and stuff, but then the women are still expected, they can dress down, but they're still expected to dress better. (laughs) You see that? Yes. And, and, and what you just said, the operative word there is the men. Some yeah. men decided that it's okay to be casual. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the dress code changed from blue suits, gray suits, you know, ties to, you know, casual Friday first. And then it was just casual workplace. Had women decide, you know what, we think we want to wear blue jeans and, you know, sneakers and T-shirts to work. 
oh my God, the world would have, you know, stopped hurting <laughs> if women had made that decision. But when men decided it was okay, then all of a sudden it was okay. And another example of that is the pandemic, right? So for years, women have fought for flexibility, time, you know, to ability to work flex hours so that they could take care of things that fall on women, like caring mm -hmm. for parents, caring for children, caring for your household. And many women were, you know, fought and, and you know, companies resisted that. The pandemic hits and all of a sudden everybody's forced to work from home. And lo and behold, guess what? They, you know, the world discovered that you could work from home and be productive. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And so now women, thankfully, are, many of them are saying, we're not going back into those offices in the same way that we were pre-pandemic. Uh, and they're demanding, you know, changes. And there's a shift happening in the workplace, which is a yes. good thing. Yeah, it's a positive thing. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the C-suite. And I want to, I want to talk about, um, you know, this, this balancing family and work and, and what has changed with the pandemic, because I think it's quite important. So for our listeners, we are talking to Ariva Martin, and she is one of the nation's leading voices in the media, an award-winning attorney, advocate, legal and social issues commentator, talk show host and producer. And she currently hosts the special report with Ariva Martin. She's also a best-selling author, and she has dedicated her first book to Awakening, Ladies' Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told. And this book helps women worldwide recognize, own, and assert their limitless power. And it's a great read, so I recommend it. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Ariva, you can reach out to her on arivamartin.com. She's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Ariva Martin, and that is A-R-E-V-A. -E That's the spelling of Ariva for our European audience. And this show is also brought to you by Cinda, who holds virtual trainings, conferences, does market research, legislative white papers, focused on digital transitions. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, go to www.cinda.org. It's one of the fastest nonprofit organizations growing in Europe. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about a subject that is close to my heart. And it's the empowerment or, of women 
and also opening the doors for them. And we're talking with Ariva Martin. She's one of the nation's leading voices in the media, an award-winning attorney, advocate, legal, and social issues commentator. She's a talk show host and producer, and she currently hosts the special report with Ariva Martin. She's also a best-selling author and has dedicated her first book called Awakening Ladies' Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told to helping women worldwide recognize, own, and assert their limitless power. So, Ariva, before um, you know, before the break, we we're kind of talking about. I, I had to chuckle about. Yes, you know, the the dress code has changed, but the guys did it. Okay, they came to work in jeans one day in the tech industry, and then everything was okay. But women are still expected to even dress up a little bit more than you know. There's casual and there's dress casual. Okay. Um, so I, I want to talk now about family because in the beginning, you know, gave some stats on the C-suite and, and we know how thin we are, regardless of some of the movements that are trying to help us get there. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's expectations around family work, um, expectations that a woman can do that job, that she can travel or not travel? I mean, uh, we're trying to push the needle, but we're not getting that far. Yeah, Kimberly, I think one of the uncomfortable things we have to get used to is that men hire men. <laughs> and again, yeah. a lot of scientific studies that show that who's doing the hiring dictates who gets hired. So if you have men hiring, you know, making decisions about who gets the promotions, more often than not, they promote other men. And it's not just other men, it's typically other men that they have relationships with. So there's that whole relationship component. And if women have been kept out of, you know, golf clubs and, uh, you know, meetings that happen off site from the work day, they're not able to build those kinds of relationships. So they're not going to be even on the radar when a lot of those promotions happen. And, And again, those are the things that we don't talk about very often. And we want to get to frequently the solution. But, and as much as I am a solution action oriented person, I wanted this book to slow people down and say, wait a minute, we we can get to the solutions, but we really can't do that until we talk about the problem. And we haven't been honest in many ways about the problem. We haven't been honest about the fact that there are systems in place that make it almost impossible for women. You know, you can't, it can't be the case that in the hundred years that the women have been in the workforce, mm. there have not been extraordinarily uh, powerful and competent women, you know, ready and able to take the helm of these major companies or, you know, or governorships or, you know, senatorial positions. So we can think of across the board, it isn't just corporate America. Mm-hmm. So we've got to face that. And too often when you bring that up, you get a lot of pushback and they want to immediately go to, well, we hire women, but they don't stick around. Well, why don't they stick around? They don't stick around because they don't see any women at the top of this organization. And that signals to them that you're not interested in putting women at the top of the organization. Uh, So it becomes this vicious cycle and it's capable of being fixed. It's not really rocket science. It's just a matter of men being willing Uh, to acknowledge the contributions that women make and create the same opportunities uh, for women as they do for men. And that just isn't happening in so many areas uh, Mm -hmm. of our society. Women are still judged differently uh, than men. The, the, The standards used to critique us are different. And until all of that changes, we're gonna be stuck in this perpetual cycle. Yeah, and and when you talk about uh, judging differently, okay, um, how much do you think this mythos of family and work play a role? Okay, and I'll I'll just give you a quick European example. Okay, um, and and you're a lawyer, you know, in Europe you, you may have a maternity leave of of six years because you can do three and then have the second child in three, and I've seen behind closed doors so many times say you know men saying nope we're not going to hire a woman between that age group because it's too high risk she may leave okay so and that's kind of happening in Europe and I'm sure 
those kind of discussions go on in the U.S. also. So how much does family play into this or the mythos of family? Great question. It plays a huge role. You're right, because women automatically are judged if they are child Bearing ages, which, you know, again, men kind of decide how age, how old you can be. <laughs> Obviously, there's some biology involved in that. But, you yeah. know, for years we were told you had to have your kids by 30 or else you were over the hill. Uh, so, yes, there's this sense that women, when they have children, they're, you know, they're not available. They're, they're not focused. They're not as intentional about their job. They're more into their families. And, and we have this, you know, mythos called the, the mommy track. And mm. women, and you, I talk to women all the time, professional women who will talk about being afraid to even tell their boss that they are pregnant, being afraid to talk about wanting to start a family for fear that they will be labeled, that they will be ostracized, that they will be put on this imaginary mommy track and their careers will essentially be over. I, I tell myself what I hid my first pregnancy for months. I didn't tell anyone Uh, that I was pregnant because as a lawyer, I fear that I would be thought of as emotional, uh, you know, someone that wasn't up to the job from a physical standpoint, that I somehow would lack stamina uh, and the kind of, you know, mental toughness to be a a tough trial lawyer. So those are things that play into the psyche of of many professional women. And I know women who just said, I'm not going to even have a family. My Mm -hmm. career is so important to me. I don't want uh, for my company to think that I have competing interests. And I say, you know, never has a man had to guess or fear or, you know, be concerned that getting uh, you know, a promotion would be somehow tied to whether he was a father or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what can we do ourselves? And, and um, you know, I've been in the, in, the, in the same boat. I was one of the ones who decided not to have a family. OK, um, just because of that, you know, and you look back many years later, you say, did I make the right decision or the wrong decision? But, you know, we how do we help women? Because it was about guilt. It was about competing choices, as you said. Um, how can we get the message out to women today that, you can do both. You can manage both. Yeah, that that's a great question. And you're so many of the women that I uh, have interviewed that didn't have kids, and they asked the same question you asked, Kimberly. Did I make the right decision? Yeah. Was this sacrifice that I made, was it worth it? Uh, one of the things we can do is have these conversations. And I, I, the book encourages women to find kids uh, because one of the the recurring themes that came back from all the women that I interviewed was their regrets about not speaking up. Mm-hmm. You know, when I asked them what regrets, if any, did they have, without a doubt, women would say, I was in a situation where I was passed over. I was in a situation where I knew I was making less. I was in a situation where I was forced to train a guy. And I said nothing. Uh, when they moved me out of my position, I went quietly. And as they, these now women are more mature, you know, they, they are more emboldened and they want younger women to know that that will, if you walk away quietly, you are likely to regret that for the rest of your career. And so we want, I want, those women want younger women to find their voices and not be afraid to challenge the system, not be afraid to speak up. Uh, you know, and I know that's more difficult for some women, uh, particularly women who are in lower wage jobs, women who don't have any power, you know, in their positions. Uh, they can't always do that. They feel like, you know, it would be a great peril to them and their families. But even just acknowledging that their worth is is more, uh, having conversations with their coworkers, I think those are, are true liberating acts that mm-hmm. women can take uh, that will cause them, you know, to feel like they're winning uh, in ways that perhaps they don't feel now. Yeah, and and I think I'm. That's so important to to help fo- help people find their voice. Okay, um, and help you know the the generation that's just starting work now, and even starting with the kids. I mean, um, I have nieces six and nine. You know, help them build that confidence. And I wanna I wanna ask about one part of your book again, which which 
nobody ever talks about. And I, I was quite surprised and really glad you put it out there because this whole system starts with women, as you said, with the property, your father's property, the diaries going, you know, going back um, years and years, and then with marriage and the name change. And you talk about branding, okay? And it's almost when, when women get married, um, I still don't see a lot of women that do not change their names or do not change. And if you're getting married when you're when you're you know 40 or late 30s, you've you've got a lot of branding behind you. Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you brought this up, and I thought it was a very good point about branding and and name changing because you're taking somebody else's name. Maybe you want to, or maybe you don't want to. We're almost sometimes forced to do that. Yes, but but again, think Kimberly. Somebody made that up as a rule, right? Yeah, you know, somebody decided. <laughs> uh, and I, I interviewed on my talk show, the special report, uh, uh, some uh, indigenous people during the uh, Columbus Day. We we're talking about you know indigenous people and how they were robbed of their land. And, and one of the the women uh, told me that her tribal uh, traditions were the women were the clan mothers and that their name was given to the male child and it was the mother's name that was carried down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. So just as that decision was made in, in that, you know, community, likewise, we could have, somebody could have decided that women rather than men, you know, that that would be the surname that a couple would use. But yet, because we're in this patriarchal system, it, it was, you know, the woman changed her name to uh, indicate in many ways, you know, that she now belongs to this man. Uh, <laughs> and that, again, is something we accept without mm -hmm. challenging, uh, without examining. And I had an experience that really irritated me when I went to get uh, my TSA number. Uh, they told me online I needed two documents, a birth certificate and a state-issued identification. I show up. I have my birth certificate. I have my state-issued license. And the guy tells me, well, this isn't enough. You need a marriage license. And I says, well, wait a minute. One, it's not on your website. It's not indicated as a requirement. Yeah. And do you ask men for marriage licenses? And he said, no. I'm asking you because your name on your birth certificate is different than your name on your state-issued ID. And I just had this aha moment. Like This is, a, again, a female tax that we now have to walk around with a marriage certificate that, again, men don't have to do. And it's small on one level, but I think it speaks to a much bigger issue. And I came home immediately and told my daughters, never change your name. I was on this chair <laughs> like, for weeks. Like, and I changed my name. And this is what I started thinking about. I graduated from the University of Chicago. I graduated from Harvard Law School. All of those degrees, both of those degrees, say Ariva Bell. They don't say Ariva Martin. Mm -hmm. and, and I would have to go through this laborious process to have, you know, those incredible accomplishments, those certificates that, you know, diplomas that, uh, in, you know, that are representative of these incredible accomplishments changed. And again, why would, mm -hmm. should women have to do that? And if you mm -hmm. built equity, if you built, uh, you know, brand recognition in your name, why do you have to change your name? How come the man can't? as easily change his, you know, there's, there's no biological or scientific reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. There's somebody just made up the rule and I, I had to laugh. I have to laugh rule. at your, yeah, I have to laugh at the TSA because I had almost the same thing just recently. I had to go get something uh, notarized and I have three passports, American Czech and U.S., and all have the same name on them, and they wouldn't notarize it till I brought my birth certificate because I kept my name, and they wanted to make sure I didn't change it. So <laughs> the same thing, yeah. I had to go back. And I guess, yeah, I mean, it, it is, and it, you know, I mean, these are these are things that are, you know, we have to recognize, and we're going to take another break. And um, Ariva, when we come back, I want to talk about what we can do, okay? Because we're talking about this is the way it is. This is a system. What? How can we support women? How can we support 
the, our, our daughters? How can we support my nieces who are only six and nine? What, what do we have to do to try to move the needle forward? Okay. So we're going to take a short break and we are talking to Ariva Martin and she is one of the nation's leading voices in the media, award-winning attorney, advocate, legal and social issues commentator, talk show host and producer. She hosts the special report with Ariva Martin. She's a best-selling author and she has dedicated her fourth, fourth book to awakening ladies' leadership and the lies we've been told to helping women worldwide recognize, own, and assert their limitless power. It's a great read. I highly recommend it. And if you'd like to read, reach out to Ariva, you can go to her website at arivamartin.com. She is also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Ariva Martin. And Ariva is spelled A-R-E-V-A. So please reach out to her and please order her book on Amazon. We are also brought to you, this broadcast is brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and social search associations, and they hold virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers focused on digital. So if you want to learn more about Cinda, go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we are going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we are talking with Ariva Martin, and she is one of the nation's leading voices in media, award-winning attorney, advocate, legal and social issues, commentator, talk show host, and producer. She currently hosts this special report with Ariva Martin, a best-selling author. She has her fourth book out, and it's called Awakening Ladies' Leadership in the Lies We've Been Told, Helping Women Worldwide Recognize own and assert their limitless power. So, um, Ariva, we're talking about the, the name changes and, and families and balancing families. And just a, a quick note, um, you know, there's movements that are how helping us move forward and maybe some of us that are not helping us move forward, okay? Um, but the pandemic, I mean, it did bring to light that, you know, you can manage home, kids, work, be productive and actually brought to light, you know, maybe gave some men out there some eye-opening uh, moments when they had to sit home working with, you know, the little ones crawling on their, their laps or the teenagers in the back, back you know, in the back room. Um, do you think it helped us? I think it definitely opened our eyes to a lot of things that many of us have known for a long time, which is, yes, that we can be productive at home. Uh, it also shed a light on how women are disproportionately represented in mm. low-paying jobs. We know women bore the brunt of the pandemic, particularly here in the U.S., yeah. because they are so heavily represented in hospitality and healthcare. 
uh, where they are, you know, in jobs that in some cases pay less than minimum wage or uh, definitely the federal minimum wage in the U.S., which is still, you know, around $7. So it, it, it really shone a bright light, shined a bright light on the inequities in our system. And it also, you know, we saw a lot of women leaving the workplace and now who are demanding changes, demanding higher wages, demanding more benefits, uh, better working hours, opportunities to work from home. So it really shifted the balance of power from employer to employee. I just hope that that continues uh, and that women who are going back to the workplace will see a, a different and a transformed uh, work environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that shift in power, I think that that is really important for us. Um, and we, we, when we look at that, that may have that opened our eyes somewhat um, in the pandemic. But there's a lot of movements that have either helped or not helped. OK, um, you know, we eight years ago, I think it's about eight years that we had lean in um, with Sheryl Sandberg, you know, brought some things to light. Um, you know, it's eight years later, maybe some of those things are still valid. Some of them are not valid. Um, what do you see, what do we need to do to fix the system? Yeah. And, and I talk about Cheryl Sandberg's book and Cheryl herself evolved and, and changed some of the, the, you know, she, she acknowledged that a lot of the principles in her book are applicable to women of a certain socioeconomic class, mm-hmm. but were not generally applicable. Uh, so if you don't have a housekeeper, if you don't have a driver, if you don't have a cook, if you don't have you know, staff, uh, some of those suggestions that she made just weren't applicable to everyday women. She since uh, has, you know, she went through a tragedy with the loss of her husband. And I think after hearing from women all over the country, she has since, you know, made some modifications to, uh, that concept of, of leaning in. But I think those kinds of concepts that center the focus on women are, I just think they're wrong. I think they're, they're, they're just off the mark because women have proven over and over again, like I said, we are the most educated demographic in this country. We work uh, outside the home. We have unpaid millions and millions of hours of unpaid labor Mm. that we do inside the home. So there was never an issue, I think, about whether women were working hard enough in the workplace. That that just got us off on an irrelevant tangent. Uh, The energy and effort should be on the system because Mm. women are going into the workplace and they're getting met with brick walls. So uh, I, I think that that movement was was just uh, a wrong headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some others we can point to. Like now, there's legislation uh, moving in the U.S. Congress that would provide for paid medical leave, that would provide for universal pre-K, uh, that would provide for a child tax credit. All of those things help women enter and stay in the workplace. They're not panaceas. They're they're not going to you know, overnight provide equity for women across the board, but they get us closer. They acknowledge that women who do bear the brunt of the responsibility for child rearing and caregiving, uh, and until we can, you know, fix that and make that more equitable, these kinds of policies will make it easier for women to uh, remain in the workplace so that they can ascend to higher levels. Mm-hmm. And and there's lots of examples out there. I mean, if you look at Scandinavia, um, um, Denmark, Norway, you know, some of the highest quotas of, of women in CEO positions and also, you know, legislation that provides, you know, pre-K day, daycare, um, a lot of those support systems. So do you think we're moving fast enough to get those support systems out there to change the system? I'm glad you mentioned those other countries that are far more advanced than places like the U.S. Those are models. Those show us that this is not rocket science, that this can Mm -hmm. be done. It's all about the will to get it done. No, we're not moving fast enough. Uh, We're sitting, you know, we have made a lot of firsts. We have, like I said, you know, women in the C-suite. We have the first a female vice president of the United States. We have the first speaker of the house. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is the first, you know, female speaker of, you know, the United States Congress. Mm-hmm. All of those first are great and they are important, but it's not nearly enough. 
we, we still, women still only make 77 cents for every dollar that a man earns. Uh, for black women, Latinx women, that is drops down to 65 uh, cents or so. So why in 2021, with the education level that women have, the experience, the expertise, are we still fighting for pay equity? I mean, something as simple as the guy makes a dollar, the woman makes a dollar. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just incomprehensible that every year we're still having to have, you know, equal payday, bring attention to the disparities in pay uh, that women and men have. So when people say, oh, women, are you guys are doing great, and they point to our vice president, and they point to, you know, a couple of those CEOs, you know, applaud those women, because I don't want to do anything to d- diminish their mm-hmm. value and their worth. But please do not attempt to gaslight us and suggest to us that things are fine. Things are not rosy. They are not fine. We have real issues in this country, and we need to address them. And we can't address them if we keep lying about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, you know, we're having these conversations about race, where they tell us, you know, we had the black president, so race is fine. No, it's not. We have a race problem mm-hmm. in this country, yeah. and we have an equity, gender equity problem. So mm-hmm. I, I just hope this book. Uh, helps people, gives them a roadmap. You know, Sheryl Sandberg wanted people all over the country, to, women, to have these lean-in parties where they talked about what they can do in the workplace. I, I want them to have awakening parties. I, I want them to have uh, parties and conversations where they realize their worth and value and say, I am enough. I'm already working hard enough. Now, what can I do to tear down this system that's preventing me from shining, given that I've done my part? Now the mm-hmm. system has I I have really good points. Um, A quick question on, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the EU legislation on on gender equality on boards, which said that there had to be um, not 50-50, but at least a 40-60 on publicly owned companies in Europe, um, supposedly by 2020, then the pandemic came, it's extended. Um, A lot of criticism around this because it dealt with quotas. Okay, but then... um, it it actually did move the needle. Um, what what is your opinion on on quotas or, or something, you know, systems like this? Well, I think obviously the systems quotas and efforts to uh, make boards and to make universities and colleges places where uh, gender is used as a criteria. I think they're important because they're mm-hmm. trying to correct historical wrongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not, again, trying to give women uh, a leg up over yep. men. They're just trying to even the playing field. And, you know, left to their own devices, we see men who hold these positions aren't willing to do it. So it, it bugs me when I hear men oppose quotas. Well, we wouldn't need quotas. We wouldn't need <coughs> artificial ways to level the playing field if throughout history you hadn't prevented women from ascending to these positions in the first place. So how dare you now complain when efforts are being made, you know, legislatively to address historical wrongs? Yeah. Well, I think, I think now most of the companies are looking at very positive in the countries off yet anyways in, in Europe. So we're getting, we're getting towards the, the end of the show and um, it just, if you have a message out there, okay, um, let's just start with, you know, the, the working women now, what would your message be to them? Um, I read the book is great. The book is wonderful. Um, a personal message from your heart on how we can make this work. Yeah, the, the message that I want women to take away from this book, we are <laughs> essential to the success of our families, our communities, uh, to businesses, to government. And we have to embrace that. We have to find our authentic voices and we have to use them. If ever there was a time, I think, for women to feel like they can speak up about injustices today in this moment, this is that moment, this is that time. More women than ever are using their voices. They're taking to social media, they're writing up ads, they're talking to friends, you know, they're talking to co-workers, uh, and you have an ex- opportunity to join an exciting movement. I, I, I'm super excited. When I go around the country, I talk to women. Uh, I, I'm just inspired by the amazing stories of women overcoming obstacles and, and, and getting ahead, just 
despite all of the challenges and obstacles that are placed in front of us. And so I want women to be empowered. I want them to see this as, you know, I know the history. I know the system. I know what I have to do. And now I'm ready to band together with other women and inspired men, because I talk about men and the role that men play in this movement, uh, that I'm ready to, to join uh, others, like-minded people, and do my part. I, I think everyone has a part to play. You know, everybody's not going to run for office. Everybody's not going to get involved yep. in, you know, writing legislation. Uh, everybody's not going to end up as a CEO, but everybody has a part to play in yeah. raising these issues and making some steps towards making the system better for the women that are going to come behind us. If yeah. you got up a ladder, you need to send that ladder back down. Yeah, that's really great advice. And just one last quick question um, for for our daughters, okay, or my nieces. They're six and nine. What you know? What can we do to help nurture them? You know, uh, to maybe get the fear out of them and and give them good examples. Tell them the truth, Kimberly. Let's mm-hmm. stop telling them the lies that we've been told. That you and I were told as young girls. Yep. You know, they can handle it. They're tough. They're resilient. We already know that. So let's stop lying to them uh, and empower them so that they can be a part. They're, they're the future leaders of, of the world. Uh, and if they go into the world with wa- eyes wide open, I have no doubt that the system can be changed. And mm-hmm. we are looking at the leaders who are going to change it. They are your nieces, my daughters, uh, the young women that I meet on the this book tour. These are the women that we're looking to, and they're looking to us to show them the way. Yeah. So we have an obligation and responsibility, uh, and I, we can't fail them, and I don't think they're going to fail us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this has been really, really a pleasure. Um, for our listeners, we've been talking to Areva Martin, and she's one of the nation's leading voices in media, award-winning attorney, advocate, legal, and social issues commentator, talk show host, and producer. She is a CNN, HLN legal analysis, and former co-host of the Doctors and Face the Truth, and regular contributor on Good Morning America, ABC World News Tonight, and Dr. Phil. And she is the author of the book we've been talking about, Awakening Ladies' Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told, available on Amazon. A great read, um, opens your eyes, makes you think, please go to Amazon and get her book. And if you'd like to reach out to Ariva, you can reach out to her on her website under arivamartin.com. She's also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram under Ariva Martin, and Ariva is A-R-E-V-A, so please reach out to her. Once again, Ariva, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, listeners, don't forget to to tune in to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time on Voice America's business channel. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest non-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers. So please go to www.cinda.org for more information. And with that, I wish everybody a great week and tune in to us next week and take care. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.